0: David Perez, President and Chief Operating Officer here at Carroll uh, great to be with you here Moshi
1: uh, great to have you and for the four people who don't know what Carol is, what is Carol? <laughs> uh,
0: Carol is a uh, owner operator of multifamily based atlanta we've got uh, thirty five thousand units uh, across the u s uh, mainly located in uh, southeastern markets but we've started to expand kind of west into Business friendly states.
1: Okay. So to say you know what you're talking about in terms of operations and uh, acquisitions, um, multifamily is would be an understatement. So when things are good, it's, it's easy to make money in this industry. Um, and for the most part, things have been pretty good. Um, but when things are not so good, that, that's where, you know, those that are good kind of rise up and those that are not as good are going to unfortunately sink a little bit so what are you what's your outlook on where the industry is heading in terms of the economy rents are things heading up are they heading down and then if you're feeling those are heading down or even if not what would you how would you approach that
0: yeah i think that multifamily is in a a a really good spot i think over the last 10 years we've been you know having uh continuing sort of up into the right you know uh good stuff generally happening um and a lot of that's been kind of the supply and demand issue um and uh, general migration patterns that have occurred in certain locations have been uh, great but then it's also been call it new household formations you know particularly during covid that drove so much demand um so it's funny i mean i was just having this conversation with our our CEO yesterday, but it's like, Hey, look, we're still up. If we went up 40% uh, and the industry sort of is the darling right now of all different food groups and property types and and all those things. If we, if everybody just took a 20% haircut, we're still quite positive relative to where we were in 2020. um, And some of the headwinds we were possibly facing uh, given, given the pandemic. So we'll definitely see some moderation, but it's not like we've got uh, a systemic underlying problem where there's too much housing or there's too much debt um, or there's challenges with uh, you know, other headwinds. Are are we going to have a little bit of rocky, you know, six, nine months as we kind of figure out where things go? Sure. Um, But nothing's going to collapse that I've seen. um, And with jobs and consumers being so healthy, you know, the underlying fundamentals are pretty good.
1: Yeah. And then I, am not, uh, I'm not hoping that things are bad and I'm not, uh, <laughs> uh predicting that. But I, I, think that, you know, there's a lot of unknowns and in our industry, you have to respect and consider the unknowns. So, you know, what, what will residents be able to pay rent in the next six to 12 months is, is an unknown or how many of them will be or, um, what, the demand will be is will will be unknown. Um, so what I have seen and my perspective could be limited. I understand that is that in the last, you know, COVID happened and a lot of transactions stalled. And then there was this huge appetite for, for acquisitions. Once that re, you know, the end of 2020, there was a lot of capital that was on the sidelines that everybody wanted to put to use and the transactions were like record high in 2021 and and so far 2022 it seems like it's slowing down but also you know then interest rates were low and people were the valuations of properties was was record high and it seems that a lot of people overpaid and then our business, the, the situation was self perpetuating because you sell a property that you weren't normally because you're getting a higher price, but now you want a ten thirty one it, and so you have to buy something. So now you're accepting a higher value at a for that second acquisition that you, than you normally will. So I th- what I'm saying is there are people who have overpaid for properties, and then again if they're not great at operating them, so now they're gonna feel the the squeeze. And especially if they were buying them with these assumptions of crazy high rents. Um so in order for their their deal to work, they they really have to push hard. And on top of that, there, again, there's there's labor issues, there's supply issues, there's all sorts, of, I shouldn't say issues, there are obstacles. And so with those types of things, and if someone doesn't have a very good system of how they operate their property, how they uh, grow revenue, how they hire, how they train, all these things, and so I'm I'm curious, you know, from your perspective of operating a very large operation, what are your thoughts on those?
0: Yeah, and like just to touch on on your points around like what was happening and why put people wanted to put so much money to work, it was just debt was so cheap, right? And if you're looking at it from a cash flow perspective, buying debt at you know two bips on a, whatever it was on the sofa and, and, and all those things, uh, people just needed places to go put money, um, that actually earned some sort of cash flow and the fundamentals just made a lot of sense. Right. And where you had rents that could grow, you had people that could spend money and, and those things. Um, but you're right. I mean, in order to, it's great to have a business plan on paper, but in order to sort of, uh, get those returns, you've got to be able to turn that into, um, execution and and the operations and execution has uh been challenging given you know labor markets and people and then even some consumer thoughts and attitudes and some government meddling and what people had to pay and didn't have to pay um you know in terms of rents so a lot of the things we tried to focus on were you know all of a sudden in may everything on my watch list turned green where i had a nice little christmas tree before some reds and greens but you know, all of a sudden, occupancies were trending in the right way. Renewals were great. You know, rents were increasing. We were crushing GPR. Um, so we really just took a step back and said, okay, this is our opportunity to really think about the future because we don't have to really worry about so much the present right now. Demand for housing for us was so great, uh, especially in the locations that we are across the southeast and and in some of the, like, Phoenix and, and Denver and, and Vegas markets. Um, So we really kind of just buckled down as a team and tried to figure out how do we provide the most value moving forward for the customer. Because we knew organically rents were just going to grow, but expectations were also growing as well. Like, hey, if I'm going to pay 10, 20% more, what am I getting for that 10 or 20% that I didn't have to pay the year before? So a lot of our focus has been around the, the experience and that customer experience. So we've got we developed this, this model. We call it the ease model where we just really are walking ourselves through the eyes, through the shoes of our customer and our end customer. Cause ultimately that's what feeds our business. And uh, in order to really maximize that value, you've got to have a great product, which means you know, you're know you maintaining it, you're keeping it up in those things. But the second piece is you've got to have a great experience. And that means that people understand what they need to be doing and how they need to be delivering that day-to-day you know, living experience for somebody and delivering on those expectations.
1: And so, what does uh, is that you know your senior, your C-level team sitting around in a conference room and saying, "Hey, we need to focus on the experience." And then, how do we how do you approach that? And then, how do you measure that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was definitely senior management team. Um, you know, back in 2019, we installed, uh, we, we ripped and replaced our our tool around customer satisfaction. So we really were keen around NPS scores, measuring that, measuring the results of that. And then um, being strategic around, we don't want to necessarily gain the system. This is obviously just telling us in what direction and what things uh, and what levers can we pull to really drive satisfaction. So NPS scores have become you know, a, a big, metric for us um, in driving and understanding where we've got some challenges, where we've got some problems and really trying to aggregate that, you know, secondly, there's, you know, some things around, well, where's the focus need to be. Um, And because the focus didn't need to necessarily be around, you know, how do we get the most value for Brent um, or make sure the system there or the market rates or all those things we're doing um, we could just focus on satisfaction Um, and I'll tell you that just consumer sentiment, you know, really soured through 2020, we were making lots of good progress as we got up to COVID. And then, uh, it's been a challenge since as we've worked through that. And it's a challenge just in our industry with, with trying to get people up to speed on, on how to work through customer challenges while also, uh, serving the property and the clients and the owners, um, you know and, and the needs of the business from a reporting perspective
1: it's so interesting um that there's a lot of folks that are operators or owners or investors um deal makers you know, uh, brokers and, and there's the business from a financial standpoint making those deals and then you know you, you acquire property but to really make it successful is 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 a whole nother game the, the operational part and so much is About the people, um, you know, you're talking about experience and I think a lot of people talk about experience and they start thinking of, you know, creating new things or doing new things and the importance of just good customer service and providing, um, you know, being a person and treating people like people, um, that they, they feel good about where they live is, is very undervalued or there's not enough attention on there. And I don't know that there's any good customer service training um I'm I'm a customer of of USAA and their customer service is fantastic and every time I talk to somebody I was like do you guys have customer service training and the most of it is just like their their training is about like their value and their values and their mission and and then people just care and I think that there's not enough of that and it's interesting because you know at your seat, you're you know you have investors you have an operation and there's the financials and there's a very big part of our business the the people in it and the customer satisfaction, the customer service, the employee satisfaction. So it's very refreshing to hear you talk about that. Um, and then if we're, we're wrapping up on time. Um, something that's very unique that I noticed just like looking at your website, you guys are already a private company and yet you do this annual report. You share, you're very, seems to be very transparent about your business. Um, why do you do that? And yeah, why?
0: Yeah. Look, we like to sort of celebrate the good work that we're doing. Um, and, you know, it's a marketing tool as well. And, but it's, we want investors, owners, managers, and even people to feel comfortable and in, in dealing with us um, and, and you know, being truly a partner with us. And whether that's we, you work for the company or uh, you are, um, you know, investing with us or letting us manage one of your, your communities, we just really want people to, uh, feel comfortable with like we're not we're not hiding what we're trying to do. We're trying to be thoughtful and and forward. And while we might might not be required to do uh, these these things, you know, we feel like it's important to have that transparency so that you know your partners really understand kind of where you're coming from, um, and your employees feel good about you know where they're working.
1: Yeah, I, I, I like sports analogies, and you have the sports teams where they you know they study a lot of film and. And then the really good teams, like they could tell you exactly what they're going to do, and it's like try and stop us. And I think in a lot of industries, like oh, we don't want to give away our secret sauce, and we're giving away too much. And and I don't know if this is your attitude, but I I like it. It's like hey, this is what we're doing. We're going to be transparent, and and you want to try to take something from it? Go ahead, but we're gonna just we're gonna be Carol, and and we're gonna go do our thing.
0: Well, I mean, you mentioned earlier the the book Radical Candor. We were chatting before this, but uh, she's got a great story about you know how Google just tried to make you know, these little tiny incremental changes along the way. And there's no way that somebody could duplicate, you know, you can make one big new thing or product or enhancement, right? And anybody can go and copy that. But if you're just constantly improving, there's no way that anybody can copy that, right? It's just a a nuanced approach and how we approach our daily, weekly, monthly, annually processes here, whether that's on the investing side or the management side um, or our people side that uh you know make this you know a, a unique and different kind of place to be. Uh
1: yeah, so the way we 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 wrap up is curious questions. Um where is a place that you travel to this summer?
0: So we went and took a, a extended family vacation. There were 21 of us that went to Punta Cana in the Dominican Republic uh for a week, which was fantastic. It was actually uh cooler than it was in Atlanta. Um and it was a A really nice just get away with the family uh i've got four kids that are uh, between the ages of 10 and four so um they had a great time hanging out with their cousins and and uh grandma and grandpa and everybody else so it was a good time
1: and what does the president of carol do on the weekends
0: most of what i do is coach uh kids sports so we've got baseball lacrosse basketball uh, softball soccer everything you can say uh going on um mostly on the weekends do cheer on uh the georgia bulldogs and atlanta braves i've been in atlanta for nearly 40 years so it's pretty hard to extricate uh that from me
1: what's more challenging coaching a 10-year-old sports team or operating a 35,000 unit management company
0: uh they have uh, they have their own challenges uh both emotional challenges and, and, um, uh, tactical challenges, just getting people in line. Uh, it's actually a really great corollary. So, uh, uh <laughs>
1: and last but not least, uh, what's a book recommendation.
0: So, um, I've mentioned radical candor, fantastic book. Um, and really kind of puts, you know, some things in perspective on, on how to really have tough conversations and, and expect things from others, uh, more, you know, just interesting books. I finished reading um, the Invincible Machine a little while ago. Story of Ethereum kind of ends in twenty eighteen, so it's missed the last uh, three four years of the craziness that's gone on in crypto. Um, and then there's the story of of uh, the founders, uh, which is the story of PayPal and uh, the whole PayPal mafia and how it all came up with Elon Musk and and crew that. Um, Uh, really have now founded so many different and interesting companies and how they all came out of 2009, um, I'm sorry, 1999, uh, thinking that their original product, which was beaming money back and forth between Palm Pilots, uh, grew into this massive, uh, you know, hundreds of billion dollar kind of company, you know, today. Um, And it also really puts in perspective what it takes for founders to truly build, uh, a, a company and the kind of effort you really have to put into it.
1: We'll have to go check it out. David, thank you so much for taking the time and, uh, and sharing your insights.
0: My pleasure. Thank you, Moshi.